Welcome, everyone, to the Medfield College Film Society. We are back from our Halloween adventures into the woods and New York and the manners of Great Britain and nowhere in particular. It seems maybe we should have stayed in jolly old England, you know, with a whole, whole before we go to the colonies. Uh, yeah, we should have stayed in old jolly old England. It seems uh, we should have stayed there because we are going back in this episode. But first, we must introduce our society members. We're going to start with our founder, Mr. Our Dave Thomas. Uh, that would be Mr. Robert McSwain. How's it going, Robert? Dave Thomas. Huh? All right. I'll, I'll take it, I guess. Best in the business. Uh, Best in Chilean, the business. Coleslaw. Chopped, chopped onions. onions. Any questions? Carolina classic, man. You got a Dave Thomas impersonation you want to roll out, Robert? I don't. I've never. <laughs> I need to get in front of the mirror and work on that one. I, um, and inevitably, they'll start like morphing into Trump because that's kind of what happened. This time. Um, I'm doing all right. I guess I got a a new piece of hardware today for the podcast. I'm looking to roll out because there's an episode coming up that's going to need some uh, special tools and i'm getting more and more nervous with each passing day oh boy is it is it benford uh <laughs> it's a 3000 model yeah so um... well i'm excited about that episode and i can't wait to share it with our people but first my brother down in old osceola orange county the old reedy creek improvement district no more mr michael crawford How's it going? R.I.P. It's going good. Now I'm craving a Carolina classic. I know. I want some Wendy's, man. I want to sit there in that little atrium. uh, Yes. The little little solarium. Yeah. Those newspaper newspaper tables and have a Carolina classic. Yeah. Hit the salad bar. (laughs) Get some chili. (laughs) The garden spot. Yeah. The garden. They never had like the the full-blown like hot bar, did they? No. Oh yeah, but yeah, they did. They did. Uh, yeah, okay. they did. It showed me. Yeah. Okay. Get the garlic bread, man. We would hit up the uh, Wendy's weekly after piano lessons. It's yeah. baller. Mm-hmm. Baller yeah, on a budget. Yeah. I uh, my lovely wife was uh, on a first name basis at the Wendy's in Shelby when she lived there. Uh, did they call she her frequ- Wendy? Frequented it <laughs> quite a bit. She's got her patterns of. Uh, she does. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Andy Brown, undisclosed uh, location in the Faraday cage. How's it going? Gosh, you're killing me with all this Wendy's talk, and I'm sitting here holding, you know, biting my tongue, <laughs> waiting for my introduction. But, Did you go to um, the Wendy's in the in your town? Oh yeah, you grew up in. Yeah, we had. Uh, I remember the the cold, wet spaghetti noodles that they used to have on the hot bar. That was <laughs> yeah, disgusting. Yes. <laughs> uh, Good but, yeah, I'm uh, I'm doing great. I kind of want a, a a Dave's classic right now would be pretty good. Oh man, yeah, oh, it's really hit up that dollar menu, make it make it talk. Uh, mm. Have you ever seen the movie Enemy of the State with Gene Hackman and Will Smith? It's a classic. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's what I always imagine. Uh, your like where your studio is, Andy, just a yeah. like a burnt out warehouse with a Faraday cage and. <laughs> Faraday, I I um I remember going to see Enemy of the State because it was the first movie to be released with 
the trailer for The Phantom Menace. Oh, oh wow. Was that the- which was a very exciting. I drove, I think, to Raleigh to see it because there was only one theater that was going to be showing it. Man, remember the uh, the the preview for the special editions? Those were that saw that at the uh, Celebration Theater in Celebration, Florida. Nice. RIP. Wow. Uh, God, bring before, that back. Bring that theater back. Yeah, it was a good theater. So I get, was so excited. I get I'm enemy of the state confused with the uh, what's the one with Shia LaBeouf where he's also on holes. the holes. Holes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> Even Stevens. Uh yeah well, yeah, you, yeah, yeah yeah I know what you're talking about. There's another one. Yeah yeah, a good movie. Uh, I enjoyed Enemy of the State when it came out. It was fine. Uh, I am Jeff Crawford, and we are here to talk about a movie almost as good as Enemy of the State and The Phantom almost. Menace. Uh, and it is one that is spoiler alert. Beloved in our household, a true Disney classic. Michael, what are we watching this week? Well, this week we are watching the 1963 Disney animated classic, The Sword in the Stone. Sword. Sword. This was, uh, at the time, the first Disney animated movie in two years. So the people were thirsty for some Disney magic. It was directed by Wolfgang Reitherman. Story by Bill Pete, the great Bill Pete, based on the book by T.H. White. Got some music by George Bruns with songs by the Sherman Brothers. An array of talent in the credits for this one, too, just like Ichabod and Mr. Toad. But a uh, notab- notable call out to Walt Paragoy on the backgrounds, the great Walt Paragoy, mm-hmm. the rustiest individual i've ever met in my entire lifetime <laughs> and uh starring the voices of ricky Sorensen, sebastian cabot carl swinson and junius matthews could have never put this movie out after kennedy had been shot you know but junius what a great name genius you don't hear many geniuses do you um uh, yeah man this is early Sherman's and they are coming hard. Uh mm-hmm. really early. Uh yeah, I had first, I, I kind of forgot it they were does involved. fly under the radar of the Sherman stuff, but it is music is very prominent in this movie. Yeah, it is weird because as I was watching it, it's been a long time since I've seen this and there were many moments where there were songs that I, I just didn't. I'm, I mean, Higgitus Figgitus, you remember, but there were a lot that I was not expecting. This one, we, we had just watched uh, Sleeping Beauty, and I'm sure I'll talk about this some more. There is a lot of stylistic overlap here yes. with Sleeping Beauty, including the George Bruns underscore. So um, just kind of a, a brother film, I guess you would call it, to Sleeping Beauty. Mm-hmm. Andy, had you ever seen The Sword in the Stone? This is a movie that I had never actually seen the whole thing. I had seen scenes of it. Um, scenes, you know, my scenes. kids, yeah, uh, my kids have we we own this movie pre Disney Plus. We actually own the thing, um, and um, it's one of those that when it would ever it would be on and I'd watch it for about five minutes and I'd get distracted by something else and go off and do that. Uh, I remember parts of it as a kid. Uh, and I remember being intrigued by it. Cause it was one of those that it wasn't as popular. I don't, I don't think 
right? At least in the circles that I was in. Uh, but I always thought it was cool looking. Um, so I'm glad to finally have gotten to see it this time. Well, what about a non-spoiler reaction? What are we, what are we going to get from you? <sighs> it's a, it was a bit of a bummer. I got to, <laughs> I, I went in with high hopes and I was let down. Uh-oh. So I'll leave Uh-oh. it at that. Uh, as Michael said in the mm. teaser for this, we, uh, at our grandparents, the grandmother's house, was a novelization of this from the time. And that yeah. artwork of that always kind of sticks out in my head and I kind of in my memory because it was just one of those cool books that was always around that you would kind of pick up and look at. Yeah, a little hardcover book. Oh. And I think I probably read that book more than I actually saw the movie. Yeah. I feel it wasn't like... really, they didn't show it much on the Disney Channel and that right. stuff. You yeah. know, and if you didn't own it, then you're out of luck. I, you know, as a kid, I, I loved the whole King Arthur stuff. Yeah. Then this was right up my alley. And when, and I think that's part of the reason why I'm a bit bummed out about the movie. Uh, and we'll get to that. But um, that's, yeah, it, I don't know, it just had so much cool potential. And uh, I think it got squandered a bit. Okay. Well, we should probably get to it. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Andy, you yeah. have the first act. So why don't you take us into the world of the sword and the stone? Legend is sung of when England was young And knights were brave and bold The good king had died And no one could decide Who was rightful heir to the throne It seemed that the land would be torn by war or saved by a miracle alone and that miracle appeared in London town the sword Distributed by Buena Vista, that old chestnut. The music is appropriate and feels very royal and medieval. And until the you know the 1940s jaunty music kicks in as the credits begin to roll for the Sword in the Stone. I got no notes. Man, the cool <laughs> background colors. So it's a, again, this is another Sleeping Beauty. It's kind of the backgrounds of these credits. It's just a little trippy. Great, yeah, real trippy. Yeah, yeah. the music's all over the place. And then this like jazzy groove starts kind of bebopping all over the place. Yeah. It's like, where is this coming from? But anyways, da, da, da. we get the familiar stop motion. I guess it's stop motion book of the, the sword and the stone opening. And yeah. They got the book begins. guy back. Yeah. The book, book, yeah, the back. I was going to say the book guy's back. That book looks a little crazy though. The book guy's losing his it mojo. Had a shine to it. <laughs> a little, a little, a little loco. <laughs> it's polished. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, a lovely menstrual or troubadour gives us a rundown of how the king died long ago. I knew Jeff would love this. Man, part. it just doesn't get any better. Like when this hits, I'm just like in heaven. I could just watch it forever. <laughs> it's just so earnest and sincere and strident. What if you got the, the like the evening news like that? That'd be kind of nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> so good. I just love it. Love it. It's so serious. Yeah, it yeah. is. Yeah. But uh, the good king died long ago, and nobody could decide who should be the rightful heir to the throne. But by some miracle, a sword entrenched in an anvil fixed upon a large stone had appeared. And had uh, written underneath the hilt that said, "Whoso pulleth, or yeah, whoso pulleth out this sword of this stone and anvil is right wise king born of England." Well, many people tried, many people failed, and this went on for years. But over time, it was forgotten about, and it was dark times. Men lived in fear of one another. For the strong preyed upon the weak, just like this scary-looking wolf that we now see with the red eyes. A pretty creepy-looking wolf. Yeah. yeah. He's staring down this cute little squirrel that comes out of out of a tree, and it barely escapes the talons of a bird of prey. It, uh, it, it It's a borderline Simpsons part right here. You know, I just kind of expected a shark to kind of come up out of the water and... <laughs> and grab one of them i thought the setup (laughs) shot of the hawk you know going after the squirrel was a little self-indulgent from the animated perspective it's just like look at us look at us look Um, what we can do but the mood the intro sets up with my song as mentioned and the like whole telling of everything and the art and everything i just think it sets up such a great mood yeah i love it love it Well, yeah, and then the animation transitions very well to a, a curious fellow in the middle of a some like dark woods, retrieving a pail of water from a well. This is Merlin the Wizard, and he's not too happy about it being such a dark age because there's no plumbing or electricity or anything. Um, and he finally gets his water, but he then gets all over him, and he starts you know, kind of like rah, 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 and he carries on about how everything is so difficult and. Um, so Merlin's heading back to his cottage and he's taking the water with him and the, he gets in the cottage and it's full of books and all sorts of, I guess like potions brewing or experiments or some sort. I'm not, wasn't exactly sure, but what is this a witch's just, brew? <laughs> some kind of witch's brew. I, uh, uh, I dig this cottage. Yeah. Has, yeah. I'd, I'd live there, man. He's got, he's got a nice setup. And we're, uh, we're introduced to Archimedes. Who's uh, Merlin's pet talking owl. He's got quite a lip on him. <laughs> Archimedes <laughs> is really one of the best. I mean, Merlin and Archimedes, two of the best Disney characters, really. I mean, Archimedes, just so much personality. Who? Who? What? What? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's like a little uh, variant to our voice. What? What? Who? What? What? Who? What? What? what, what? <laughs> well, Merlin is preparing for someone very important to arrive, but he doesn't exactly know who. Except that it's it's a boy of about eleven to twelve years old, and he knows the boy is coming soon, uh, and he knows that he's going to be able to teach that he's going to take this kid under his wing and you know teach him important lessons about the world. And uh, he also seems to have awareness of how the boy will enter the cottage because he's kind of preparing like a chair and table, as if he knows the exact precise location 
that the boy's going to enter this cottage. Merlin fetches his pipe, and in the smoke, we see a young man walking about on a mission, but that's not who's Merlin, who Mer, who Merlin's referring to, because uh, this boy's too old. He's been in his 20s or so. Uh, but also in this smoky vision, a young boy is seen chasing after the other man. Now, Merlin knows that this is the boy, and he knows that he is less than a mile away, and he will see him very soon. And then we kind of transition from this um, smoky haze uh, over to the, what these actual these guys, and we see what they're up to. And it appears that the older boy, whose name is Kay, uh, again I say I say boy, he's more he's in his twenties. He's he's hunting deer using a bow and arrow, and the, the younger boy, who Kay refers to as Wart, is just tagging along. Um, and Kay's, Kay's got quite an accent on him. He's like, Wah! it's very, uh, <laughs> yeah, what would you, you say? It's a very, accent. uh, very cogny. Yeah. 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 It's like one of the young ones or something. Hey, he's ridiculous. like, what? Yeah. He sounds almost <laughs> like <laughs> a, uh, uh, one of the, oh, shoot, like a monster or something from, uh, Lord of the Rings. Yeah. <laughs> one of the orcs. <laughs> orcs. Yeah. Thank you. Think of the word. <laughs> he is back on the menu. What? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so Kay spots a deer and he aims his arrow for the kill when Wart falls out of the tree branch above him and lands on him, ruining his shot and sends his arrow flying deep into the woods. Kay is pretty ticked and he wants to wring Wart's neck and starts chasing after him. And just, just the animation... I just want to stop right for a moment. Yes. And the animation is just really well done. It's just very cool looking. It's um, really, really uh, rotoscopy with, mm-hmm. uh, with K like K is super rotoscopy here. Uh, I noticed that too. And uh, yeah, I, K is a character. K just sticks out of my mind from this movie. He's such a, just a turd. Yeah. He's just the worst. <laughs> He's terrible. It's true. Yeah. I just remember thinking that when I was a kid, like, man, that dude is the worst. Interesting too. They keep like messing with the background. So like some of warts have like, or some of K's have like really crazy watercolor splotches and then warts will be kind of like more flat. So it's just an yeah. interesting, like, big color playing with color and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. They know what they're doing. A wart apologizes and, and says that he'll retrieve the arrow, but Kay warns him that these woods are swarming with wolves. But wart, wart, that's not wart. <laughs> wart says he's not afraid and he takes off in search of the arrow. Don't tell me you're going in there with the point. Yes. I just yeah. really remember that. <laughs> Wart is, Wart's a bit clumsy because yeah. he kind of just falls <laughs> over as he's walking. <laughs> Whoa, what? Whoa, what? <laughs> I use that yeah. one sound effect of him falling it over and over again. Mm-hmm. Whoa, what? <laughs> uh, he's so clumsy that it, it draws the attention of a nearby kind of scrawny looking wolf who's gnawing on a bone. And he pops his head up and he's looking for a solid meal. Uh, Wart spots the arrow in a tree and climbs the tree to retrieve it, but unfortunately for both Wart and the wolf, Wart, Wart, Wart <laughs> slips and falls, crashing through the roof of Merlin's cottage, landing precisely where Merlin thought he would. That Merlin. I feel like that wolf is very Warner Brothers. 
I, I was trying to think of what the wolf reminded me of, and I can't. Yeah, I don't quite know. Place it's it. Something other, other than well, Disney. He, he looks like the wolf from Lambert, the uh, sheepish lion. Ah, that's kind of like, now we're talking. Now we're talking. So that's 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 what he reminds me. Of. Well, Merlin One of my is, favorites. <laughs> Merlin is startled, but welcomes the expected guest as Wart looks around at the at the strange things in Merlin's cottage. Wart tells Merlin that his real name is Arthur, but everyone calls him Wart. And Archimedes is insulted when Arthur mistakes him for a stuffed <laughs> owl, and he flies back into his little coop. Um, I, I don't know. You guys liked Archimedes. I didn't like Archimedes. He, he was. I love Archimedes. He's Come on, sour. man. He is. Yeah. He's, he's just yeah. a little sour. What? 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 what, is it, what? Um, yeah. ooh, ooh, I think what? he's necessary. You know, it's like I love him as a yeah. foil for Wart and Merlin. I think that's where he shines. He and Merlin are both kind of on a hair trigger multiple that's times true. throughout this that's movie. True. Like they're they're just a little edgy. They <laughs> but sometimes, when, yeah, when then yeah, sometimes that when Merlin goes off, then Archimedes is like, oh, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll teach you how to, yeah. And mm-hmm. He's kind of different so the ying to his yang yeah exactly yeah that's what i was saying well well as merlin pours tea for everyone he explains to arthur that he knew that he would be coming because he's a wizard a soothsayer a prognosticator and he has the power to see in the future centuries into the future in fact and he's actually even been there and he even shows some models of plans for like early locomotive and airplane prototypes which you know really impresses arthur and so much so that Arthur's eyes kind of start going this crazy, almost King John kind of thing from uh, Robin Hood. <laughs> yeah, it is weird. Really yeah. weird. Really strange. He does some some good look takes here. Uh, let me ask you a question. Does it bother you that, that Wart does not have an English accent? Meh. That's typical mm-hmm. of Disney. That's, that's true. Did it bother you? I mean, I, never, I, I guess I really didn't notice it until the, this time around. I was like, you know, I, he doesn't. Have an English accent. And then I was reading that they had a lot of trouble with the actor. Uh, his voice broke. Yeah, you can tell that. You can tell that and, for sure. And they well, had to like, fill in a lot with um, the director's uh, two sons had to fill in and, and, and re-record some of the audio. Okay, because I wonder, because they were in the credits, but then I couldn't find out what they were supposed to be. Yeah. One of them was um, Mowgli, right? Uh, yeah. Willie Reitherman's kid? Yeah. Yeah. I'm saying right. so you definitely can tell when they switch. Like there's a, and there's a couple of times. We'll I mean we'll get into it later. But the uh, where they like have to do like some like pitch shifting or something they're trying to do to make it match up better. Totally didn't notice. Mm-hmm. Wow. Merlin shows the boy the steam locomotive and demonstrates how it works when he pours some hot water in it and it begins to move on its own. And Merlin says that they, it won't even be invented for hundreds of years. Again, shocking the young boy. His eyes go crazy again, and Merlin explains that he can see just about everything that's going to happen in the future. But not everything, but just about everything, as Archimedes reminds him. Well, Merlin offers sugar to Arthur for his tea, and he accepts. And Merlin calls for the sugar canister. I guess, as, unless there's a, is there a better name? I just call it sugar canister. Yeah. yeah okay. Sugar bowl. Sugar, sugar bowl, whatever. Sugar dish. I Anyway, sugar canister, which magically marches <laughs> over under its own control in a military fashion and begins spooning itself uh, at the amazement of the young Arthur. Merlin asks him if 
he'd had any schooling, and it turns out that Arthur is training to be a squire and is currently learning the rules of combat and swordsmanship, along with jousting and horsemanship. Um, but that's not the kind of schooling that Merlin had in mind. He wants Arthur to learn math and history and science and so much more. Well, all while this is going on, the sugar canister has been spooning its sugar so much that the teacup is overflowing with sugar, and Merlin yells out, win, and insults the sugar canister by calling it an impudent piece of crockery. And I, I think that's a that's a good that's a good insult. <laughs> I think I'm gonna yell that the next time in traffic. <laughs> piece of crockery. Um, so Merlin tells the boy that he needs a proper education and offers to be Arthur's tutor. But Arthur says he needs to get back to the castle right away, and Merlin decides to come along. But before he does, he's got to pack his things. With the wave of his wand and the words "Higgadus Figgadus Zumba Kazing." All of Merlin's books and the things, uh, all the other things in his cottage magically shrink in size and pack themselves into his suitcase or suitcase bag, I guess you'd call it. Um, and I, I want to point out that when once the room is empty, you can hear a lot of reverb. And it's not the first time we've heard a lot of reverb uh, in, in the audio for this movie. Mm -hmm. There's, it's almost like they got a new toy. Yeah, uh, and they just wanted to keep trying it for many things. Every time, like Archimedes would stick his head back into his little uh, coop there, you know, you would hear the the reverb or totally or Merlin, when yeah. Merlin stuck his head down into the the well. It's like reverb, and it's right, just like right. Like, oh, here's this new effect that we're just we just want to play. That is everywhere. so true. They go in, in and out of a lot of logs in this movie, and it's yes. reverb every time. <laughs> <God. Yeah. laughs> What else can we do reverb on? <laughs> yeah. I gotta well, have more reverb. <laughs> well, Arthur is very impressed by Merlin's magic, but Merlin warns him that magic won't solve everyone's problems, and he catches his beard in the closing cottage door. When he releases it, his beard kind of fuzzes up and essentially turns into like a, <laughs> like a basically like a dandelion. That's what I thought of. I just saw this big poof. It's pretty fun. Big boy. Yeah. Uh, the two take off through the woods and the scrawny wolf from earlier catches up to them and makes several attempts to chomp down on Arthur, but, but he never manages. Uh, Merlin tells Arthur that he needs to develop his brain with knowledge and wisdom because that's the real power, not strength. And since Merlin believes so much in higher learning, he says they'll start a daily schedule where for, for eight hours a day, Merlin will teach the young Arthur all that he can. And all while this is going on, this conversation is back and forth. Uh, the two of them are kind of tromping through the woods, up and down cliffs. And Merlin kind of slides down this hill. And he comes across some water. And he raises his, uh, what would you call his wizard gown? Revealing that he's wearing pink boxer shorts. Yeah, yeah. old pink uh, boxer short gag. Yeah. yeah. I seem to remember that from as a kid. I think I remember that scene. I think it combined it in my head with an outfit he wears towards the end of the movie. But that was also his a lot of a lot of shorts on a wizard. Yeah. <laughs> Arthur says he can't spend eight hours studying because he's got page duties. And Merlin just kind of scoffs at that. Merlin realizes that he's lost. And Arthur points him in the right direction, all while the sad wolf just can't catch a break and gasps for air after being so tired after chasing after them. Now that felt very Looney Tunes ish. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. It was like they had this exposition that they had to do, but they had to do something that the animators wanted to do something to have yeah. fun. So they just had them talk while this wolf did all this wacky stuff. Yeah. And and then the wolf wheezing. Just <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Sort of wily coyote kind of. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Well, back at the castle, Ector, the knight of the castle, is worried about Wart. But his son Kay couldn't care less. We really see Kay's colors here, don't we? Golly, mm-hmm. just <laughs> chewing on that bone. Uh, Multiple bones. Hector feels he's responsible for the boy since he took him. He took him in and adopted him. But just then, Arthur arrives and Hector is relieved, but still gives him four demerits <laughs> and sends him off I love to the, the demerits. Door. Yeah, this I was like, well, that's strange. I think this movie was my introduction to the concept of demerits. Yeah, yeah. it was Probably. mine too. Like I didn't know what knew what it was either until this movie came along. <laughs> Merlin introduces himself and says he's the most powerful wizard, and that sends Hector into hysterics. He even lets out a gadzooks. <laughs> that was good. Um, Merlin demonstrates his power by generating an, generating an indoor blizzard. Which drops snow all over Hector, but Kay isn't impressed. I'm saying more. Hector is convinced, <laughs> but he's uh, but he has sorry. Hector is convinced, but says he hopes Merlin doesn't go for any of that black magic. And I was like, oh, that's, that's an interesting turn here. Um, but Merlin sets his mind at ease, saying he never touches the stuff. And his magic is only used for educational purposes. And he let, says he's let me ask a question here. Is uh, Ector kind of giving off an Andy Reid of the Kansas City Chiefs vibe to you? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> the mustache. <laughs> like, I just kept, every time I kept seeing him, especially in the snow, like, <laughs> I just kept <laughs> seeing Andy <laughs> Reid sitting there. <laughs> well, you know, when, they, when Disney does the, the remake of this, yeah. Or cast Andy Reid as as that. Oh, cast Andy Reid as the- <laughs> That's a good call though. I'm also waiting for the uh the April Fool's joke where they announce they're gonna build a Ector Castle. Ah uh, uh, yes. A fantasy land mm, yeah, gag. Let's, yeah, well, let's talk about this castle. So uh Merlin says he's gonna he's there to educate Wart, but Ector doesn't like the sound of this and tries to kick Merlin out. Merlin kind of disappears and begins talking to Hector, who can't see him, and then re-welcomes him back in and invites him to stay and puts him, uh, and he keeps calling, what's funny, he keeps calling Merlin Marvin, which I kind of chuckled at. Little Chevy Chase. Yeah. Yeah. Chevy Chase thing going there. And he says he's going to put him in this dilapidated North Tower. North uh, Tower, yeah. As uh, Robert's talking about, which looks like it could collapse. At any moment, and it's heavily exposed to the elements, you should, you know, you might say. Uh, so yeah, yeah. Describe this castle or this tower, Robert. So the, the North Tower, as it is called, is uh, being propped up by, I don't know, maybe uh, half a dozen two by fours and stone and. and and every time anyone slams a door hard, a, c- a couple of stones fall off of it, and it sways in the wind. It's a good gag. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a commentary on the times of, of England right now. So. Mm. Mm. Oh. oh, wow. Political. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, 
and so you know, again, it's exposed to the elements, just like you know Robert was saying. And there's a terrible thunderstorm. Merlin is trying to catch all the leaks in the roof, realizing that Hector put him in such a terrible accommodations, kind of hoping to make make him want to leave on his own. And Merlin says he isn't going anywhere, and Archimedes does not like the sound of that because Mark, Archimedes is not happy. But um, so all of a sudden, there's this. This horn blows, and uh, it's this was a great entrance. I enjoyed this. It's Pelinor from London, who brings <laughs> news, uh, brings big news from London. Big news! And uh, the guard drops the bridge for him, and the rumble makes Merlin's rickety tower almost fall over. It really gives me anxiety, man. <laughs> it, me too. Mm-hmm. Like, oh. <laughs> yes. Well, Merlin wonders what the big news is and sends the protesting Archimedes to eavesdrop under threat of turning him into a human. <laughs> uh, and then Pelinor, who's voiced by uh, Alfred from the bat, the old Batman TV show. Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was him. Yeah. Pelinor enters Ector's hall and it's a great entrance, like the music cue and his posture, and, like the silhouette. I love that. I thought that was great. Um, and Pelinor tells Ector that, there's going to be a big tournament on New Year's Day. And not just that, but the winner of the tournament is going to wins the crown, will be the new king. And uh, of course, cue Hector's spit take. And Hector is super excited and tells Kay that they'll have to they'll, they'll have him knighted by Christmas and he can win the whole thing. And Kay's response is just simply like, why not? <laughs> it's like, Kay, come Boy. on. Boy. <laughs> I don't uh, care about nothing. Yeah. I'm a footballer. <laughs> Probably likes punk rock. I was about to say he's like <laughs> Sex Pistols a thousand years too early. Hector <laughs> <laughs> uh, also invites Wart along as his squire, and Wart, aka Arthur, gladly accepts, but unfortunately drops all the dishes he was carrying to the kitchen because what? What? <laughs> Kay isn't happy about that news, but no matter. And Hector and Pelinor have a plan, and they have a toast to celebrate both Kay and the banner of the castle of the forest sauvage. And Archimedes flies off back to Merlin with the news as lightning and thunder continue to flash and boom. Rain pours down on the owl as he heads towards Merlin's tower. And this closes out Act One. Hockety pockety wockety whack, abracadabra dabra knack, shrink in size, very small. We've got to save enough home for all. Tickety smiggity smiggity small, prestidigitorium. Cicero, you'll be long in the seas, alphabetical order, please. Alakafez, Benakazez, Malakazez, Maripides. Diminish, diminish, dictionary, that word's in your vocabulary. Hockety, pockety, wockety, whack, that's the way we've got the pack. Higgitus, figgitus, figgitus, bummer, higgitus, figgitus, figgitus. Stop, stop, stop! I have so many questions about Hector and what what is his... Yeah, how did he become a sir? Yeah, power like what is his like realm of control? And because yeah. he seems to run a pretty shoddy operation here at the castle, and uh, yeah, I just wonder is like what what is what is your level of nobility and 
How big is your realm? Flunked up the ladder of nobility. Uh, the, when I first watched this, uh, just watching it just to get my general notes, I felt the I felt there was a lot of slowness. The pace was did not feel right to me. Mm-hmm. But when I watched it again, it felt better. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if I mean, did anybody else feel that way, or was it was it just me? I think it's like you know the overall plot uh, does take a while, and they kind of linger in episodic things. But I yeah. think once you know that, it's not like I mean that's what it is. You know, it's right. like it doesn't nothing really happens until the end. <laughs> It's yes. like, yeah, yeah. At the beginning and the end and the middle is a whole bunch of gags. Um, but I think once you know that it's like, well, it's, that's just what it is. The sun comes up over Hector castle in the courtyard. Kay is trained to win the big jousting tournament, charging a fake hand cranked knight who gets the best of Kay, hurling him over the wall, pole vault style, crashing under the rickety old tower, waking Merlin as the tower rocks, Back and forth. It's like a game of Jenga. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Merlin overhears Ector and Pelinor coaching Kay, calling jousting a science, snarking that he needs to harness Wart's enthusiasm towards education, not whacking someone with a long stick. He plans to cheat in order to get Wart interested in education by using, of course, magic. Later that day, Merlin and Wart are strolling by the moat. As Wart dreams of being a knight, that he can't be a knight since he's an orphan. There's some nice music uh, here as uh, imagery, mm-hmm. and and they show the the wildlife in the moat and the reflection of Merlin and Wart walking by. I thought that was a really nice take. It's there. nice. It's yeah. like yeah, it's it's like the middle point between uh, Sleeping Beauty and Robin Hood, I guess. Ah, yes, I was going to quote Robin Hood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Merlin casually mentions that. He can become a fish whenever he wants, then uh, challenges Wart to imagine it. His magic can do the rest. After some help from Archimedes, uh, we get a good boy as Wart turns into a fish. First of several good boys in this this movie. Yeah. Wart begins swimming around and and a rascally frog begins monkeying with him. Merlin joins him and they begin a lesson in how to swim like a fish, working on a rhythm and we start another wonderful Sherman Brothers song. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get some pauses as the so- in the song when Wart gets uh, eats a bug, and Merlin swims through some ticklish tall grass, and they decided to make another round. Uh, they bump into a purple catfish, which begs the question, what are they dumping into this moat? Yeah, really. There's a lot of junk in this moat. There is. <laughs> it's and a lot of garbage right here. And it's, it's, uh, comp- the uh, animation for this, I, this comes out. This movie came out the year before The Incredible Mr. Limpet, but the animation reminds me a lot of. Mr. Limpet. Oh, I was thinking about Mr. Limpet a lot. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. After another encounter with the frog, which is beginning to get on Wart's nerves, Merlin begins to monologue about the problem of being a fish. Suddenly, a rather large, ornery-looking pike swims up and begins chasing them. Merlin gets trapped inside a helmet and challenges Wart to use his brains to outwit the pike. Instead of taking the easy way out and using magic. Although I would argue that this is a good point to use magic uh, 
instead yeah. of being devoured by a giant pike, uh, I would think the, there needs to be a line there. But yeah, Merlin, uh, it's like Hogwarts rules where you learn by being <laughs> incredibly <laughs> endangered and threat of death constantly. Hogwarts rules. It's uh, <laughs> this was also because in the he eventually says it's a pike, but in the book, you know, we were talking about. You know, it talks about it being a pike, which I didn't know what that was at the time. I mean, obviously, I knew from context it was a fish. Uh, I wasn't a fan. This is a, a nasty, a nasty creature. Mm-hmm. I've never caught a pike. Any of you ever caught a pike before? I've never caught a pike. I was going to ask you the same thing. Find not, a moat. I don't know if I want to now. <laughs> Let's go to England and catch one. <laughs> All right. I actually looked to see if they had pike in, in England. I did too. <laughs> just to confirm it. Yeah, I was like, I don't know. Let me see if this is just a Disney kind of thing here. Did they really have yeah. pike in England? That's sure funny that we both did that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I just uh, assumed like avoid. as a kid that like every moat was filled with pike because of this. Uh, he quickly avoids being eaten by swimming through a chain link uh, in the his drawbridge causing the pike to get stuck, giving Ward enough time to hide behind a pylon. Uh, the pike is also no dummy, though, and sees Ward hiding in the, in the shadows and doubles back on him, beating him, and then as he turns the corner, and they quickly uh, come eye to eye, and Ward sticks a broken-off arrow that he had picked up in the pike's open jaws. Wart says uh, he gets the point that brains and uh, will always beat brawn, but Merlin can't remember the words to his magic spell again, which is a, th- a theme throughout this whole movie, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wart leaps out of the water with the pike giving chase, awakening Archimedes, who intervenes only to get dragged into the moat by the pike. After some close calls, he manages to get Wart safely on land, Archimedes that is, uh, as Merlin emerges from the moat. Wart says Archimedes saved him, and he, and Archimedes denies it, saying that he intended to eat Wart, that he loves perch. <laughs> uh, Dark uh, turn. It's <laughs> uh, back at the courtyard. Wart's uh, voice has changed strangely. Hang on a second. So that all, that whole fish sequence, it took a lot of time. Yeah, it did. And I, for me, I just did not find any of that interesting. I was like, why are we not getting to you know the sword and the stone it's about and, the journey not the destination man what is he supposed to get the sword and the stone like in 15 <laughs> first minutes act. and just sit there and yeah. pull at it for the rest of the I mean, movie it just feels like a waste <laughs> won't of come out. try it that's, again <laughs> that's the interesting thing that's what they've used to draw you in at this point they've they've established the whole backstory and they're saying oh here's there's this no there's not a king there's this sword there's this boy there's a wizard and you're like cool let's do something cool with this and they spend uh, ten minutes on a, a fish sequence that just I don't, I don't I just don't understand why they I, did that. I'll agree with you to a certain extent. I it, it, I think it did drag on, but I, I loved it as a kid. I thought that was I mean because I being a fisherman myself, I any time I could see a giant fish jumping around was you know made my imagination spark. But back at the courtyard, or its voice has changed strangely. Um, as that clearly they've shifted actors and is, he's telling Hector about, uh, what just happened and he's called a liar and told to clean the kitchen as punishment, um, much to Kay's delight. This place mm-hmm. goes through a lot of dishes. She's, yeah, a lot of parties there. Evidently. Yeah. I guess so. Cause man, they just <laughs> burn through those dishes. 
And they break a lot too. Warton. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, why? In the, ki- <laughs> in the kitchen, Ward is one. singing as he scrubs cauldrons. Uh, Merlin interrupts, asking if he's uh, ever considered being a squirrel. Oh, no. <laughs> ever seen oh. a grown man naked? No. <laughs> Wart says he better not, uh, since he has so many demerits, uh, he needs to stay and clean. Orlin says he'll help, but only does so with magic, of course, uh, creating an assembly line. All I could think of was, it must have been a nightmare to animate all this Higgins Figgins stuff. Mm-hmm. That's all I could think of. It was like, we didn't have CGI. You had to animate it all by hand. That just must have been a pain to do. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of bubbles and the suds. Yeah, oh man, there's a lot of moving parts in there. Yeah, yeah, it's a real great jazzy number. Um, Some good stuff. As the jazz number plays, the dishes dance around, getting cleaned, and the floors are swept. Here we go. Out in the forest, we begin one of the darkest storylines in all of Disney animated movie history. No. Forget Bambi. Throw Bambi out. All in my notes was in the kitchen when he mentions the squirrel was in all caps, oh no, the squirrel scene. And then when they're in the forest, oh no, oh no, oh no. Throw out old Yeller. Throw out Bambi. This is oh, the centerpiece of tragedy in Disney for film. life. Yes. A small squirrel goes leaping from one tree to the next as we hear Merlin yelling for him to stop. Merlin arrives saying, uh, as a squirrel, it is, Merlin arrives and and warts a squirrel now too. Uh, He he needs to take it slow and safe and begins a lesson on gravity being the force that pulls you down to earth. He monologues about how any uh, particle, if freed to move, will accelerate towards uh, each other. As he talks, Wart bumps into an attractive young redheaded squirrel who seems quite taken by Wart. (laughs) That's some attractive squirrel. In squirrel standards, of course. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Very attractive. After some overt flirting, Merlin begins trying to explain but uh, decides to stay out of it. Flirting gets a tad uncomfortable at this point, though. Uh, I won't go into more detail than I need to here. Uh, Merlin begins to break into song about love and being chased by women. As Merlin sings, Wart uh, runs away from the redhead and leaps landing on Archimedes. And as our old friend, uh, the wolf has now taken notice and he's circling below. The wolf. Archimedes, not aware uh, it's Wart, shoes him off only to anger a woodpecker. Then the redhead shows up again. Merlin begins singing while doing some fancy balling with an acorn. Yeah. <laughs> Again, another thing, a pain to animate. Like yes. Globetrotter, Globetrotter style with an acorn. And all of this much to the delight of a largish female squirrel. Not as attractive. Not, not as attractive <laughs> as the red. <laughs> now she's putting the moves on Merlin and we get some flirting and she lays one on old Merlin, much to his disgust. I love in these scenes, the parallel of the squirrels loving the people who are currently squirrels. There's like, you know, flirting and flirting and flirting. And at some point, both females just like shove them down. It's like like (laughs) a stage and admiration is just shoving them down to the ground and slamming them. Yeah. It's hilarious. 
Wart pleads with Merlin to turn him uh, back into a human and then slips and falls as Merlin storms off trying to deal with his own uh, problems. Wart falls and gets trapped by a branch as the wolf approaches. The redhead quickly intervenes with an uncomfortable biting of the wolf's hind leg. Uh, yeah. This is so funny how it zooms in. It's just like the... <laughs> the wolf quickly gives up on Wart as the redhead runs for her life from the wolf. She outmaneuvers the wolf, who ends up falling into a creek and gets stuck in a log. We get a nice thump <laughs> as he lands in the log. Uh, she turns back to cuddle with Wart as Merlin falls out of the tree, running from his lady friend. He says he's had enough and shouts, Alakazam, and quickly turns into a, his old self, much to the horror of the squirrel who scolds him. <laughs> Uh, Merlin turns Wart back into a boy, but his squirrel doesn't notice and continues to cuddle Wart. The squirrel, startled, runs up the tree crying as Wart tries to explain. Wart walks off to the sound of squirrel tears. Oh, as he man. leaves, we see her looking longingly at Wart leaving. Merlin says, love is stronger than anything. The squirrel climbs up to the top of the tree as the camera pulls out and she weeps uncontrollably over her broken heart. And the young me is scarred forever. <laughs> Just forever. Terrible. terrible. Oh. I mean, it's like, I, I started to wonder like, why, why is it so bad? And I think part of it is like the weeping sound effect is just truly pitiful, truly pitiful. It's, it's and Ward's, really just, Ward's such a jerk to her. It's like, don't be a jerk to Lady Squirrel, man. She's so attractive. <laughs> but seriously, when I was a kid, I thought this was like literally the saddest thing in the yeah, universe. It used to get me pretty too, sad. Yeah. Pretty sad. Man. I think it's like a lot of it that there's no way to communicate it to her. Like, there's no, you yes. can't like yes. reason with this poor squirrel. <laughs> yes, that is a great point. Yeah. And I mean, I'll argue again. This is not interesting. And no shame not, on you. It is not interesting. This is not Andy, why you're not watching Sword in the Stone. Cold hearted Andy here. And he just wants to <laughs> see like zoom so, ins on I the felt. on the sword, like a slow pan down the sword, like a rotating thing of the stone. Like, oh yeah, no, that's the a light movie. glinting off yeah. of his blade. <laughs> what? <laughs> Who's going to pull it out? Oh, here comes somebody else to pull it out. No, they can't do it. Hmm. Who's going to do it? The sword. <laughs> Meanwhile, the name. with the sword. It's not oh, called the squirrel it. tragedy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not called the, the sadness of the attractive squirrel. <laughs> I don't see any squirrels around here. Will better pull out the sword. It would have been great if Kay had accidentally shot one of the squirrels. <laughs> Oh man! <laughs> Back. All right, <clears throat> here we go. What is it about this podcast? Every time something gets sad or something like that, we all of a sudden <laughs> start like make it so much more lighthearted than it really should. Be. Well, I would argue that we were all like you know heartbroken here, and then you're like, stupid squirrel, you got move it along, move it along, move it along. Boring. <laughs> for what it is, There's for the, the squirrel sword. and the sadness, I get that, and that was it's like it is very sad, but. The, they didn't even need to put this in the movie. I don't think it was not necessary for the plot. 
Maybe it's teaching Arthur empathy. You know, think about it. He's going to be a future ruler. He needs. I agree all. with Andy. They could have hung a lantern on it a little bit more, though, to to get that across. I, yeah, I, I can see that. That's yeah. a good point, Jeff. I like that. He said, "I want to teach them empathy" or something like that. That would have made sense because you're going. To, you need to know this to be a good king. That would make sense. But for what it was, it's like let's just go break this cute little attractive squirrel's heart <laughs> and make and ruin all the the, the you know the way young men and young boys understand relationships it's a very attractive sword too you could just get to that thank you <laughs> back at the castle andy reed <clears throat> i mean sir ector is training with Kay as we hear screams as one of the ladies in the kitchen comes running out she says the kitchen is under a spell and ector says uh he bets it's that old m- m- goat marvin <laughs> I do like the Marvin thing. Hector <laughs> <laughs> seeing the kitchen cleaning itself declares this is black magic and tries to fight it off with Kay only to get bested by the dishes and the mops. Merlin enters and stops the nonsense. He and Hector face off and he scolds Wart. The cook yells at Merlin saying he is no longer allowed in her kitchen and he promptly disappears. Kay says they ought to go get... Uh, let me, see, hang, let me try that with the K accent. You ought to go get him. Uh, <laughs> well, maybe not. <laughs> do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Um, K says, we ought to go get Merlin. And uh, Wart uh, jumps in and starts defending Merlin, saying that he's a powerful wizard. And Hector piles onto the merits as Wart runs his mouth. He declares that Wart is no longer K's squire. I think Kay says, like, we ought to box his ears or something to that Mm -hmm. effect. With a mountain of work in front of him, Wart sits alone. Merlin materializes and apologizes. He tries to give Wart a pep talk and says, he's got nothing to lose now. He needs to get an education because he's at rock bottom, which I'm not sure I get the logic in that. Hey, what's the worst that could happen now, right? (laughs) Uh, But Wart goes along with it. And that wraps up Act Two. Merlin is showing a map of the flat earth terra firma. Says he's going to have to get all the medieval ideas out of Wart's head. He shows Wart a globe, which blows his mind. Merlin says man will discover it in the years to come. Archimedes says Merlin is only confusing the boy, which is a point. Uh, Merlin is annoyed at the note and says from now on, Archimedes can teach Wart. Well, this gets Archimedes excited. He shows Ward a giant pile of books, tells him to read them all. Ward says he can't even read. So we cut to a scene where Archimedes is teaching Ward to write. Merlin grabs a toy plane, uh, which, by the way, Archimedes, the teacher, really, like, happy-go-lucky, like, first you take the A and go around to B and go to the C. It's just love the change that comes over him. 
Oh, but Merlin grabs a toy plane. His beard gets caught in it, and Archimedes uh, gets in stitches as Merlin falls over. Man will fly like a rock. Ah! Extended laugh cut of Archimedes. <laughs> yeah, More really time away from the play. sword and the stone, Andy. Thank you. You're finally starting to understand. Yeah, I get it. What says he dreamed he could fly like a bird? Often. Merlin transforms him into a bird. Oh, God. Enough transforming. It's not called the transformers. Let's go, let's go pull that stone. <laughs> <laughs> it's not called the transformers. Oh, oh well, War is thrilled. It <laughs> begins to fly. Uh, you know, gets taught about bird feathers by Merlin. But Archimedes takes offense. And so Merlin lets Archimedes train the wart. What, what? Don't fight the air current. Wart is a natural, buzzing the dandelions, doing loops over Archimedes, swimming upside down in the air. But at the same time, we see a fancy animated hawk chasing after Wart. Oh, so fancy. What a flex. Uh, pretty amazing animation. Wart goes the into the woods. too. Oh, yeah. Good music. I mean, this is, well, I think this is like the sixth movie we've done now with George Bruns. Mm-hmm. At least. I mean, it's just, I've, I've come to appreciate him more during his podcast now. It's a goat, man. Wart goes into the woods and birds for, bird form ends up in a house in the woods. And as the hawk continues his chase, the wart falls into a chimney. We see a witch inside playing cards. As wart coughs in bird form, the witch says, Sound less, sounds like someone's sick. How lovely. <laughs> I would say at this point, we've gone through so many different things. I had totally forgotten that Mim was coming. Oh, man. And I mean, coming. it's like the most memorable part of the movie, but I had totally forgotten that it was on the way at some point. Except for the squirrel. Like, oh, well, yeah, absolutely. But um, yeah, and so he lands there. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is a thing. This is That's right. Thing. Same. Well, Wart tells her he's a boy that Merlin helped change into a bird. And he says, Merlin is the most powerful magician in the world. Well, she takes offense to that. Says, surely he's heard of the marvelous Madame Mim. One of the great Disney villains, I would say. Yes. That never gets enough attention. Madame Mim. She should have been in Descendants. She should have been. (laughs) She could have been like the counterweight to the uh, bibbidi-bobbidi very godmother oh yeah was aged down so probably not around this time we see archimedes spotting mem and getting alarmed and flying off madame mem sings a little to introduce herself and is truly unhinged i love how wild she is yeah she's real highs and lows (laughs) the foley that they use for her flying around it's like a theremin or something but it was just like weird i don't i mean whistling sound they used but uh, that was interesting she can make herself uglier and prettier yikes <laughs> there's some... it's a little unsettling it's a little <laughs> odd when she turns pretty yeah it's either I, I i meant to look up who animated this because did they do the like... volkswagen book <laughs> <laughs> maybe like it's like like cartoon, uh, uh yeah mark davis a roly crump like came back to animation for a day to animate this character yeah it's like a comic strip type styling yeah. heesh um i needed the 10 second warning for that disney plus 
<laughs> Warren says, well, Merlin's magic is useful and helpful. Madam M says she's going to have to destroy him because Merlin sees something in him, but she says she'll give him a sporting chance as she transforms into a cat. More transforming. No, is somebody else going to transform <laughs> too much transforming begins to chase him around the room, laughing yeah. frantically. I mean, the, the laugh of Madam M just all the of laugh her. combined with the green eyes. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's you know, a bit Zootopia kind of thing going on here. <laughs> <laughs> Finally and mercifully, Merlin blows in. And Mim challenges Merlin to a wizard's duel. And so they step outside into the forest. Archimedes explains the rules of a witch's duel. Witches can change shapes in order to destroy each other. He says, Mim only wants rules so she can break them. Harry Potter rules. Here are the rules. <laughs> Rule one, no mineral, vegetable, only animal. Rule two, nothing make-believe. Rule three, no disappearing. And Merlin says, rule four, no cheating. Well, the two go back to back and start to count off, but already we see Mim disappearing. And Wart tries to tell Merlin, but Mim is behind him as an alligator. So Merlin turns into a turtle and bites her hand. Merlin turns into a rabbit and jumps away. Mim turns into a fox. Merlin turns into a caterpillar underneath a log. There's a lot of logs in this movie. You're right. I told you. Yeah. (laughs) Mim turns into a chicken, which is very appropriate for her energy. She's a real chicken energy. Um, Grabs a caterpillar, throws him into the air. Merlin turns into a walrus. Mim into an elephant. Merlin into a mouse. Mim into a tiger, then a snake. Merlin into a crab, tries to grab the snake. Mim turns into a rhino. Merlin into a goat, tries to knock her off the cliff. Then Mim turns into a dragon, which is pretty scary. I remember this illustration from the book, Michael, Mm -hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Pretty frightening as a child. Yeah. And I realized only now watching it, that it's kind of uh, almost a goof on Sleeping Beauty, even the music. Ah, interesting. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. It's, uh, w- which I'd never really thought about, but, uh, like, even the music cue is kind of similar as, as uh, Merlin's kind of running away from the flames. It's interesting. Well, Merlin, that Merlin turns into a germ and makes old Madame Mim sick. First, you break out into spots, hot and cold flashes, violent sneezing. She'll be fine in a few weeks with rest and a lot of sunshine, but Mim hates sunshine. We cut to a snowier, snowy exterior shot of the castle, and we hear singing within. The banquet hall is filled. They are toasting to Sir Kay, who has been knighted at this point somehow. I don't understand who's knighting Kay. No government right now. It was dark at times. <laughs> the maid comes in and says the squire has come down with the mumps. So Ward will get to go to London to be the squire, not without a, whoa, what? <laughs> he goes and shows Merlin. Merlin is not happy. In fact, he is furious. I'm down hard. Trigger. Yeah. A stooge yeah. for that big lug clay. Correct. Uh, Correct. Easy snowflake. <laughs> Ward says, I'm a nobody. I'm lucky to be case squire. Well, Merlin's so irritated, he says, blow me to Bermuda, and gets rocketed off. We cut to a snowy London and a jousting match. After the first joust, by the way, the jousting uh, animation. Mm -hmm. Something. 
One hour, 10 minutes in. Oh, Andy. <laughs> I just want to point it you out. You already watched Spaceman and King Arthur's Court. What else is there to worst? No. <laughs> That's true. After the first joust, the knights get knocked off their horses and start sword fighting, which was amusing to me. It's like, bleh. Wart realizes he left <laughs> Kay's sword at the end, and Kay is furious. Wart goes back to the end to get it, but it's closed for the tournament. Which I'm like, when I was a kid, I'm like, oh, everybody's so mean to Wart. But then I'm like, Wart is kind of useless. I mean, what are you like, supposed to do? Yeah. Wart, that was your only job. Right. Yeah, you had one job, Wart. Archimedes spots the sword in the stone in the churchyard across the street, so they go over there. Andy, there it is. Yep. I'm, I'm, I'm all in right now. <laughs> When Ward I'm, tries to pull it out, a heavenly choir starts singing and light surrounds him. Yep. Archimedes says, you better leave it alone. I love this because he like keeps going near and it's like, oh, and it'll stop. Yeah. Like, oh. like, Ward says, Kay has to have a sword. <laughs> back to the tournament. Ward brings a sword back. Immediately, Hector recognizes it as a sword in the stone. As does a very distinctly voiced knight. <laughs> Who really stands out. <laughs> I love this guy. This guy Let's had to be the there to make sure decide. everything was on the up and up. Because he's man. Is very, uh, very fair-minded. That's right. Let him have a chance. There you I go. am the voice of reason here. <laughs> Everyone laughs when the wart said he's, says he pulled it out. Hector says, back to the stone. Prove it. Why is Hector the most hostile person? The war. Making a fool of me, son. Two demerits. Now let's go to Been putting up with your junk for ages. I love that everybody just buys into the sword in the stone system, by the way. Everybody's like, that's a that's a good way to pick the king. It is very hard to pull out. I mean, we'll wait around till somebody pulls up pulls out that sword. (laughs) Pulling strange swords out of anvils is no basis for a system of government. Exactly. Yeah. Some moistened bink lobbed a scimitar. Uh, not from some farcical stone masonry ceremony. <laughs> Hector places it back in. Kay so tries. There's. I just every time I see the, the, this scene, it reminds me of a, a specific shot of Jeff and I at Disney World, at Magic Kingdom. Jeff, you remember this uh, shot we did? We made our oh. travel documentary. No. There was a, a kid in a stately goofy hat trying to pull the sword out of the stone at Magic oh, Kingdom. Oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, I think we pan in, like this kid standing there, like yanking at this thing, and then Jeff just walks through the shot and <laughs> glares at him, and that's... <laughs> but, that's yeah, it's burned into my memory. And every time I see the sword in a stone, I think of that <laughs> shot now. Well, Hector places it back in. Kay tries to pull it out. Kay tries to pull it out, but can't. A group of knights tries to, but Knight with a distinctive voice and Sir Pelinor. Sir Pelinor's coming around. Say, that's not yeah. fair. Let Ward do it. And so he pulls a sword out. People learn Arthur's true name and bow to him, as do Ector and Kay. Although Kay is begrudging. <laughs> we cut to Anarchy. Arthur in the throne room. He's wearing his royal regalia. He says to Archimedes, I can't be king. And he tries to leave. They'll have to get someone else, which I thought was pretty funny. And so they try leaving the throne room, and everywhere they go, they're surrounded by well-wishers, which is pretty funny every time they yeah. open up a... I'm just like, why is he alone? Like, why? Right, where right. is everybody? But he opens the door and... Oh, no, Arthur! Long live the king! 
Arthur says he wishes Merlin was here, and sure enough, Merlin blows in Chuck Taylor's swim trunks, a baseball hat. <laughs> says, you can have the 20th century. Archimedes tells Merlin he pulled the sword out of the stone. Merlin says, ah, yes, the Knights of the Round Table, and tells, tells Arthur he's going to be very famous. So much so, they may even make a movie out of his story. <laughs> As we fade out of the throne room and end the sword. The sword in the stone. very abrupt ending it yeah. is yeah it andy. is i agree oh, yeah. sorry andy <laughs> i'm telling you they messed up <laughs> i think they did all right nope they <laughs> did anybody watch any of the like the extra content on disney plus for this movie mm-hmm. oh is there oh yes and they have an alternate mm-hmm. opening that they wrote uh, let's see if this really? I, I wrote it down let's see if this sparks andy's interest <clears throat> better it opens with the king is dead and the heir to the throne, Arthur, has disappeared. And Great Britain is in chaos. A sword in the stone has appeared in London. Madame Mim is introduced with a black knight as her uh, sidekick. Oh. And they come up with this plan to find yes. Arthur. Yes. Thus giving them access to the throne. And uh, so she sends a raven out looking for Arthur. He finds Arthur now uh, called Wart with Kay and Wart shoots an arrow into the woods by accident, but the Raven takes the arrow and flies away. Kay sends Wart after the Raven into the woods. Just before he falls into the grasp of men, Merlin uh, rescues him. Uh, there's a, uh, there, this is where it gets weird. There's a bunch of little, when he goes to the Merlin's uh, house, there's a bunch of little lions running around and elephants hmm. And uh, he's using, and Merlin says he's using small animals uh, to study them because they're easier to take care of. Uh, Merlin is uh, aging backwards, so he sees the he's already seen the future, and uh, with Archimedes, who's aging forwards, they can uh, they know everything now. Uh, yes, this is amazing. <laughs> is they load up his cart. You wrote no. This was uh th- this was uh, they had the storyboards. They got the old storyboards out and, and kind of animated them. Uh, Why and, didn't they go with this? This would have been and they, bigger than Cinderella, bigger than Snow White. <laughs> so they load up the, the, his stuff into a cart. They don't use a song, and uh, and they leave. And then the Raven follows them and reports back to Mem that Merlin has the boy now. And that's how the, that, that's the opening, like five to ten minutes of the movie. That's wild. Then they turn into fish, and it all goes to crap. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for the first, that's like. Interesting five minutes, then the next hour and a half is just like that is really wild. And I didn't know they actually another, had like bonus stuff on there. I need to look. I didn't either. I just sort of happened to see it's extra stuff. I clicked on it. There's another interview with the Sherman brothers in there. It's pretty good. Um, and they go. talk about making the, the the music for this. And they wrote one song that got cut called The Blue Oak Tree, hmm. which uh, I can't remember which, which one's which Sherman brother plays the piano, Richard. Or, or, Richard, okay. Richard says, um, he's like, yeah, I haven't seen this music in 37 years. So he, they had, they pulled it out. He, he tries to play it. He finally gets, gets it together. And it's a song about the knights at, in London and they worship a, a blue oak tree. Wow. <laughs> and, 
and they uh, and they're all just sort of a bunch of idiots, and they sort of you know, and all day long they just practice being knights and fight for the blue oak tree. Kind of figured why figured out why they cut the song because that's yeah. just ridiculous. Abstract, <laughs> pretty abstract. That's wild. And they also had a different uh, take, some different verses to the magic song, as they called it, which was the uh-huh. the, the packing up the um, Higgitus Vegas. Yeah. But yeah, they referred to it to it as the quote unquote magic song. Hmm. And, um, but yeah, there's all these, this extra verse to it and this, which I, it was really good. Uh, I hate that they, they cut all that stuff out, but. Interesting. And there's awesome. another one called magic key. They wrote, uh, which one of the verses was a noggin full of knowledge was sort of the, this, this ongoing, they had this whole song about, uh, that, that knowledge is the magic key and it got cut as well, but. Bull crap. Learn a little something. Yeah, I learned a lot about the Sherman brothers and and uh, the storyboards that they threw out that made the movie better, according to Andy. Yeah, that sounds <laughs> a little more interesting for sure. All right. Well, we should probably rate this thing. We'll do it using our custom made rubric. What's our rubric for tonight, Robert? I, you know, I don't. <laughs> maybe we should just call it. You know. Uh, swords, uh, third act swords in the stone. <laughs> I don't know. I'm Attractive trying to, I couldn't squirrel. think of anything. Attractive, Attractive squirrels. squirrels. There we go. <laughs> there All right, we we'll go. go with that. All right. I'm going to get Andy first. Scale of one to five attractive squirrels. What are you giving the plot and writing? I think I've made it clear that I was not happy with how this plot and writing went. So I'm giving this thing a one. On the right hot heat. I Shots think fired. They I mean everything Robert just described about what they could have done is just so much more interesting, so much more in the theme of the sword and the stone. I'm fine that they went if they done some of these lessons that he learned, if they would have framed it right, I think you could have gotten away with it better. But for me, I didn't like it, so I'm going with a one. Didn't like it. We're going to go to Michael. How many attractive squirrels are you going to give the plot in writing? <laughs> you know? <laughs> give it a two. Oh! oh. Yeah! It's, wow. Wow. It's... Uh, it could have been so much more. It's it's so episodic, and it's so oh, there's just so much to say about it. Uh, it's like Wart is hardly a character for me. I I don't know. It just seems like it's missing something, something mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. All right, Robert, what about you? Well, um, I'm going to go give it a three. Um, just because I think Michael and Andy are wrong. So (laughs) (laughs) I agree with you. I think, I mean, I think the source material is so strong of the, the, uh, white book. It's hard to know, you know, how to grade with, with something that has such great original inspiration. But to me, it's like, uh, yeah, I, I just think that there's enough there to warrant a three. I agree. It could have been a better movie um, in the trimming the fat of the episode. I just kept thinking that, like, we never, like, Wart doesn't really want anything. 
Like Wart doesn't exactly. have any like goals or <laughs> he's just kind of a spazzy dude who just goes along with whatever happens to him. And uh like he never there's never he never has any initiative. He just kind of things happen to him. You know, I think maybe if he'd had a little more direction or character, it would have stuck a little better. You realize how much these movies just rely on gags. Most of these movies. Yeah. This is like the real intro to like the bits of business era where it's just like animators having fun, animating Mm -hmm. gags and little episodic little things that were fun to animate and kind of forgetting about the overall story. Let's move on to casting and acting. And I'll go to Robert first for this. How many attractive squirrels are we going to get for this? Um, I love Merlin and Archimedes, and that's about it as far as the acting is concerned. And, and Mim. Um, mm-hmm. uh, having to switch actors, just the, the screw-ups they had with doing Wart's voice, um, I'm probably going to go with a two on that front. All right, Michael? This is the category that's always the hardest for me to do in animated movies. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like you want to even include character animation as part of the acting or something. Um, because the voice actors. Oh, otherwise, it's kind of a hard thing to rank. Um, I'll give it a three for this, even though I think Wart was the weak link, but. You know, Archimedes is really strong as a just a voice, as is Merlin. And uh, I mean, K for as horrible as he is, I mean, it it gets across that character. I mean, you definitely feel that character. So mm-hmm. I'll give it a three, I guess. I'll agree with you there. Then and also in the fact that it's very hard to nail down for i mean if unless it's something like jungle book or something you know which yeah. is, or even robin hood you could say the voices are so distinct um so i'll just say three andy what about you i'll say three as well i mean the wart stuff didn't bother me nowhere near as much as like the plot so i, I just kind of overlooked it um but i thought I, I had no complaints with any of the voice acting um and yeah, I mean, so three feels right. All right, we're moving on to production value. I'll start this one. I think this is, you know, these golden era animated movies, I always want to give a five, but I'm just going to cut a little bit off this one, make it a four. But I love the music. I love the, you know, actual character animation. The Some of the styling stuff is great. You know, as I said, I've just watched Sleeping Beauty, so it's hard to compare anything to that. That one's just such a masterpiece. So mm-hmm. I'll say I'll give it a four because I, I just love the era uh, stylistically. And we'll go to Robert. Uh, it's going to be a four for me for all the same reasons. I think it's just, I mean, I just, I mean, the music especially. I think I paid more attention to the music this time than before, and uh, and then watching the Sherman Brothers talking about it just kind of really drove it home for me. So yeah, four for me. Okay, and we will go to Andy. I want to give it a four uh, because that, everything you guys just said, but I also I also feel like some of the music for me just didn't match 
I, I mean, it went with the the lightheartedness. I, I, so I have to give it that. But I don't know. I just didn't. I mean, the animation was beautiful, and that's the only thing really. Okay, I'll go with it. I'll go with a four. Uh, He's going with a four. I, I, part of me wants to give it a three, but I'm going to go with a four. That sword did look good, and that scroll was attractive. <laughs> it's true. It's true. So just because of that, the attractive squirrel, I'll give it four attractive squirrels. Okay, we're going to end with Michael on this one. How many attractive squirrels do you give? Yeah, I think you've, you guys have talked me into it going with a four. These This era is always so hard for me because... To figure to figure out because animation at this point had gotten so expensive and they were cutting back on animation at the studio. And so they weren't spending like they were spending on, you look back at something like Pinocchio, like this is a cheaper style of animation. But the people they brought in, like Walt Paragoy, were so good at stylizing that flat, Mm-hmm. sort of mid-century style animation that they made it its own thing. So it's totally good in a different way. So, uh, you know, it's not as lush and expensive looking as Pinocchio or even Sleeping Beauty, but it still looks good. So it has a definite vibe to it. And, you know, all the other production stuff you mentioned. So I'll give it a four. We're going to end with entertainment value. I'm going to stick with you, Michael. I want to hear what you have to say about this. Well, gosh, I am, uh, I'm going to give it a two. Mm. Whoa. Shocker. Mm. It just, Shocked. it's just so fragmented and you get to like the mem part and that's really fun, but it's right at the very end. And then the movie ends and, uh, you know, I didn't want a, an hour of him like sitting in the empty room at whatever the tower of London, you know, being King and not knowing what to do, but there's just, there's just not really a through line to it. And it, I don't know. It says it saves the most interesting parts for the end. I felt like. Okay. Andy, what about you? (laughs) Michael is seeing things my way and it makes me so happy because I agree 100% with what he said. I'm going with a two as well. There's just, I I don't want to just restate the same things I've said over and over, but I mean, it's just nothing really interesting happens uh, that makes me really want to come back and rewatch this movie. I just feels like there was just a lot of wasted potential. Um, So yeah, two attractive squirrels. Well, I very much disagree with you both. I think this is a very entertaining movie. I understand the critique and I understand that. Yeah, I agree from a character developments point and all that. Uh, I think it's really fun. And I think Merlin and Mem and Archimedes, I mean, those are all just kind of quintessential Disney characters. So you take them out and obviously, you know, if it's just like the war and K, it would be awful. But I think Merlin alone just makes it so entertaining for me. And uh, so I'm going to give it a four. I thought, uh, I, th- I find it very entertaining, although I understand it's not a complete uh, realized thing. And we'll go to Robert. So I want to grade this. We got this movie recorded off of the Disney Channel, and we must have. We had it on VHS, and it was a, a you know, a 
copied off the TVs. We watched it a lot. And I'm going to grade it almost strictly off of nostalgia. I loved watching it as a kid. And I enjoyed those beats again as an adult. And I've watched it several times uh, since we've gotten Disney+. Plus. And I'm going to go with Jeff. Uh, you know, it's a four for me. I will watch it again. I will enjoy it again. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I do recognize that it is fragmented, but those segments still, I mean, I enjoy them with the exception of the uh, squirrel. But <laughs> Yeah, I mean, um, something about watching crushing. it with my son a few times, like right after Disney Plus came out, just made me be like, I like this movie. I understand there's not, not, not a lot not to like, but I, I think you're right. It's like the nostalgia kicking in. And, you know, I think some of the beats are, you know, I just go with the gags in this one for some reason. All right. Well, well, I mean, it's an interesting point, though. The nostalgia part. I I, I get that because there's lots of things that you love as a kid. And, but then you, when you revisit them later, you realize they're not as good. Uh, and I think it's I just want to make sure we're looking at it in the right way. Uh there is no right way, Andy. It's art. Okay. That's fair enough. <laughs> you got burnt. The only yeah. thing we agree on is that squirrel was real attractive. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we can all agree on that, right? Oh, well. That's never happened before. The... We've not been split like this before, have we? Well, especially the the rarest of alliances here. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Sure. Usually it's. <laughs> yeah feel closer to my unexpected this is and unfortunate <laughs> um well let's plug this into the computer that wore tennis shoes and see what uh where this landed i'm interested to see that uh, we've plugged it in and the computer wore tennis shoes has returned a score of 3.00 which puts okay. us at number 21 overall out of 30 33 movies that we've oh nope 35 movies we've 36 movies <laughs> we just keep doing them 30 36 movies so 21 out of 36 is it 3.00 is the most fitting score this could get after this conversation yeah i think is, you're probably right what's it, above and what's below just just above and just below. <laughs> well it's the same movie just above and just below we uh freaky friday uh, 2003 is just above it with a 3.25 <laughs> and in freaky Friday revisited <laughs> is just below it with a 2.88. So it's and really the black comparable hole is also <laughs> freaky, really Friday. freaky Friday. Yeah. All right. Well, we've said what we have to say about this one. What did Leonard Malton have to say about the sword and stone? Michael, did we get any clarity there? Leonard Malton says the sword in the stone is a good film, but falls far short of greatness. Uh, Leonard Malton objects to the attempts. We we didn't even talk about this really. He objects to the attempts to make the movie relevant to the 1960s with yeah, like contemporary true. jokes. That's he true. didn't like that at all. Uh, he particularly liked the wizards' duel and he liked the animal scenes. He said, "Quote: It's difficult to remember very much about the film, even when one tries. Unlike most of the good Disney cartoon features, which have an indelible stamp on the memory." Oh man, Robert, I feel like we're we got our backs up against the wall here. I know, man. <laughs> it was so like good. a like about a like his review was about a a like a perfect three. So it falls like right in. It it's was like, like good but not great. He enjoyed it. It's like that time we were in the speakeasy and the, the heat was on. We made it out of that. 
All right. Oh, Robert. Yeah. So, I mean, what's coming up next? Are we ever going to get through this quagmire of disagreement? Uh, I don't know. I hope so. Um, we have uh, two firsts for our society coming up on the horizon. Uh, Miss Haley Mills makes her Medfield College Film Society debut, Yay. and we get our first cat movie. Right. Yes. And sadly, it's not from outer space. But it has Dean Jones, Roddy McDowell, and Andy's favorite, Edwin. Edwin, Andy. We got Edwin coming. Uh, Excited? No. <clears throat> I'm so not. That's right. Here. Should have been that's his son. Right. Uh, that's right. We're going to be watching that darn cat. I love this movie. I love this love movie. Love it. Love it. Love it. It's really good series of films you've picked, Robert. So this one uh, was on heavy rotation at our house uh, a few weeks after Disney Plus came in on. My kids found it on their own, which I applauded them. And then they watched the 1997 version. Was that a remake or a reboot? I'm not sure what how you classify that one. Um, sequel. Sequel. Prequel. But uh, it wasn't as good, clearly. Uh, but Ducky uh, Duck. So Ducky Duck. Who's, uh, who's seen it? Andy? The remake? Nope. No, not the remake. The uh, the original. No, oh, man. I've not seen it. Either one. This was one of the top top movies, probably, in frequency of the live movies we watched, I would say, Michael. Yeah, absolutely. This and Herbie totally. rides again, probably at, at the top. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're right. But this is, yeah, this is, I think this one holds up. I oh, think it yeah, holds up. yeah, yeah. I'm sure it will. Well, before you go, you know what to do. Email us at info at midfieldfilm.com. Casey Murphy, Casey Masterpiece Murphy, and Phil, not your average Smith, love to give us interesting notes and tidbits regularly. For instance, Dean Jones, a born-again Christian, evidently had a time with Suzanne Plachette's penchant for swearing off-camera during the making of the Shaggy DA. I, I did not know that. But I tell you what I did know is that Suzanne Plachette had quite the rapport with Johnny Carson because YouTube keeps sending me Suzanne Plachette on Carson, and it is gold. Like, oh, oh, man, the algorithm is correction. on point. Always a pleasure to have you here, Suzanne. I hope you're doing very well. That's great. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yes we love hearing from them and others you can also find us at midfield film wherever you get your social media as long as it's twitter instagram or facebook we're not on uh other tiktok not know. being tracked by the chinese government on tiktok i was trying to think no. of a uh, friendster yeah friendster, friendster. <laughs> Uh, what was that thing? It was it on uh, Thirty Rock where they had the the thing that like faxed you and texted you. And oh, Woof, Woof, yeah, oh, no, that's no, no, in the, the office. office. Yeah, thank you, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Woof. Right, we're not on Woof. Uh, it took a while. Meanwhile, at a castle somewhere in the Dark Ages of England, a somewhat familiar scene plays out with Wart. I, I mean, with King Arthur. Hello. Oh, sorry. Great, do it again. I didn't know there was not going to be a knock. Do it again. I can't work like this. I quit. All right, that was a knock. <laughs> okay. Hello, who is it? It's King Arthur. Whose castle is this? 
Oh, this is the castle of God, the Lebard. Go tell Guy that we are on a quest for a graphic designer. If he gives us food and shelter for the night, he can join us. Well, I'll ask him, but I don't think you're very, very keen. He's already got one, you see. What? He says he's already got one. Are you sure? Oh, yes. It's very nice. His name is Tada de Naparik. Tada, what, what? I said Tada Naparik. He's very, very nice. What does this Todd do that is so nice? Oh, you know, he makes uh, you, you look uh, good with the graphics. What sort of graphics? I think I'm kind of kind of Italian. <laughs> good. You turn into the cars from uh, Cars. Ah, uh, you know, the poster graphics, the t-shirt graphics, <laughs> the race car. Race car. I've got gone to pit stop. Pit stop. Yeah. Oh, you know, the poster graphics, the t-shirt graphics, the race car graphics, the podcast graphics. The website graphics. Uh, how is he with font selection? Oh, he tops. Better than you English types. Gosh, do you think we can meet this Todd? Only those who are worthy can speak with the Todd. By worthy, I mean you have to have high-speed internet connection, you see. And where might I find this Todd? Via this high-speed internet you speak of? The B Y D. In the graphics, bandinggraphics.com, of course, or up on Upworks. What, what? Upworks? Yes, Upworks. Now be gone with you, you graphic designerless king of silly peoples. I blow my nose at you, so called Arthur King. <laughs> so. For all of us here at the Medfield College Film Society, we'll see you with that darn cat. Proud of me a mighty Medfield, how my mother did. All your sons and daughters hail to me, Medfield College of Technology. And while we hold your banner high, rock, rock, we shout your praises to the sky, rock, rock. For proud of me a mighty Medfield.